Welcome to another episode of the MMA Lockcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter at MMALOT. And this week we're going over UFC Vegas 2, which is headlined by Jessica I versus Cynthia Calvillo. Um, kind of excited for it, you know, uh, more so excited for the Cynthia Calvillo side of things, uh, more than the Jessica I side of things. Um, but yeah, at least we got some fights this weekend to look forward to. Um, your boy got married. As you guys can see, beautiful ring. Hopefully you guys can see that. I love that black on gold. That's kind of my style. If you guys have been watching most of my podcasts, I like the black. You know what I mean? So it's kind of my style. Um, it was a great weekend that we had. Uh, me and my, my wife, still weird to say that. Uh, I know I'll get used to it, but uh, it's it's kind of fun to say. But uh, me and my wife got married on Saturday. Um had a small ceremony with two witnesses and the minister got that done with took a couple pictures uh and then we came home celebrated with the family a little bit and then off to a cottage we went we went uh saturday sunday monday came back tuesday uh beautiful cottage up north uh four hours away uh right beside a lake beautiful beautiful thing we pretty much uh chilled by the fire pretty much the the all four days um very very fun uh you know nice and relaxing too uh there's just something different about being around a, a fire pit you know i mean i'm sure most of you that have gone camping or have gone to cottages that have fire pits or or bonfires or anything like that there's just a weird a different weird relaxing vibe about just being around a fire i don't know what it is about that substance particularly but just being around it uh whether you're just chilling listening to music or even we set up a like, like late in the night we set up a uh, we had a couple episodes of Modern Family to watch that we, we we just love that show. So we just had that set up on the side, had a nice little speaker right beside us. So it was still nice and private. And uh, yeah, it's kind of like glamorous camping or a glamping, if they call it like that. Uh, but, the, but the cottage was great. You know, it was a nice location. Uh, wish we stayed another couple days, to be honest. Uh, it was nice to actually get back and, and have a nice proper shower in your own shower, even though they had showers there. Um, but yeah, we had a lot of fun. Uh, I'm super happy that we finally got it done with, and I can't believe that it just came up on us so quickly. You know, June 6th, just, uh, it seemed so long ago when I initially uh, proposed to her back in September. So that was, uh, that was interesting. Uh, the weird part about it is like, it would have been an even bigger deal, um, if uh, this COVID thing wasn't going on, like we were supposed to have family from England come down, uh, her family from Saskatchewan come down. Um, it, yeah, it was just, there's just so much planned. And uh, if you guys are Indian or have Indian friends, you guys know how over, above and beyond we go for weddings and wedding weeks, not just wedding day, but wedding weeks. It's it's just so much fun. But all of that stuff is going to be postponed to next year. Uh, we already have everything booked for next year. Hopefully this COVID stuff has gone away by then. We might have to decrease numbers. Uh, but regardless, I'm super happy. Uh, I can't wait. Um, and this is something that me and her have always kind of wanted was just like a small intimate ceremony. And, you know, it took COVID for us to to actually get around to having that type of ceremony. And I'm kind of glad that we get all aspects of it. You know, we get the the the... the, the the smaller one we get the the indian one and then we get oh, we're hopefully going to be going over to saskatchewan the week after to to celebrate with more of her family and stuff and do it their way so um we, we get all aspects of it and again it took covid for this to happen but it is what it is um the small you know glass half full kind of thing that you got to look at uh but anyway enough of what the, the the personal life again let's get back to to mma stuff um again late drop i apologize for that but we'll get back to schedule next week um 
we'll go over UFC 250 real quickly. Uh, that's another thing that I want to touch on. That was probably one of the harder things I've ever done because it's the longest I've ever gone without knowing UFC results. And there's nothing more than I hate than uh, than spoilers. And I just, you know, pretty much went black on social media. Like I just blacked out everything. Didn't even bother, um, you know, checking results or anything like that. Once I got back on Tuesday, my boy Tony, uh, co-host of the Combatant Stores, had everything loaded up for me. And I just plugged it in and just started watching right away. Um, so let's go over the bets for that. Um, we'll go over the losses first. So Lachlan, I play, loses minus four units on Charles Bird, uh, minus 167. I wasn't expecting him to gas that quickly, uh, at least not gas before getting Matthew Patola down and, you know, either getting a TK or a submission. Patola showed great resilience, was able to finally uh, really hurt Charles Bird, and Bird just didn't seem like he wanted to be there come that second round. Then he promptly retired after that, too, so that didn't really help. So minus four units there. The play definitely should have been Cody Stamen, and I'm kicking myself in the head for that. And I'm not letting those opportunities pass me by anymore. I don't care if the line is too juiced. I'm fucking going for it. More on that after I finish this uh, this recap. Uh, then we had minus two units on Corey Sandek and Aljamain Sterling. Sterling knew what his game plan was. He went in there, got got it, and and just just wrapped it up. It was it was very impressive how he was able to just get it done so quickly. I knew he was going to have the strength advantage. Um, I just didn't expect him to just bull rush Corey Sandhagen and try to get the takedown immediately and try to submit him immediately because that was his best shot at doing that. Because the longer the fight went on, went on I think the less. Um, Sterling's strength would have mattered, uh, and Corey Sandigan's, uh, you know, brown belt really would have come into play a little bit more there. Uh, but Sterling just fucking went for it, and, and and good job for him. You know, it's been a long road for him to finally make it to the top. More off, more li- more than likely, he's going to be fighting for the title next after Jan and Aldo settle their 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 dispute. Um, but yeah, big win for Aljamain Sterling there, but minus two units for us, minus one point two units on Evan Dunham. I was expecting his jujitsu to hold up slightly better against Herbert Burns. Uh, that did not happen, and then minus one unit on Juicy Formiga beautiful leg kicks by Alex Perez Formiga is done I'm, I'm done believing in that guy it's over for him uh probably will never bet on him again to be honest all right the the three wins that we had uh one unit plus 115 on Cody Garbrandt and Rafael Sansao to go under two and a half rounds kind of what I was expecting to happen uh not not really like that 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 type of knockout from Cody Garbrandt because that was absolutely vicious. Um, but I expected the Rafael Sansao to to touch that chinny chin chin of Cody Garbrandt uh, that people keep saying is just completely shot. Um, I'm still giving him a little bit of hope, or we would have saw a Cody Garbrandt that really was in his zone and he was going to be able to piece up with Sansao, who in his past couple fights has gotten rocked and finished and dropped. Um, so I thought that if anybody was going to finish Rafael Sansao, it would be the, probably the hardest puncher in the the 135 pound division, and that's Cody Garbrandt. So that cash is right at the end of round two, uh, plus 1.15 units there. Then we had 1.3 units at plus 169 on Alex Caceres, one that I wish I went even deeper on. Um, mystified that everybody was so, so confident in Chase Super and mystified that this line even got to plus 180. I wish I bet a little bit more once it got to plus 180. But uh, yeah, p- plus 2.2 units on that play. Uh, yeah, fuck. Hooper just has too much work to do still. Striking needs a lot of work. He needs to put on a little bit of muscle too. He needs some strength. A lot of his fights, he's, you know, getting submissions. But if you guys watch the fights, he's struggling to complete the submissions because guys are able to get out of them with strength alone. So once he's, uh, once he's able to bulk up a little bit, maybe even go up a weight class, the dude is still so young. He's like 21 years old, 20 years old. A ton of work still to do. It's very early for him to be jumping into the UFC pool. He should still be on a developmental con- 
contract. Uh, but yeah, big win for Alex. Well, not really a big one, but kind of an expected win for Alex Caceres for the the sharps, if you want to call that. I hate calling myself a sharp, but uh, I, I saw that that bet from a mile away. Uh, and then lastly, uh, two units at minus one ninety eight on the over one and a half on Nuna and Spencer. That should have been a lock of night play too. That and Cody Stamen. Um, you know, Spencer has a ridiculous chin on her. The fact that she was able to go the full twenty five minutes and not get knocked out by Nunes, very very impressive. Um, yeah, I I liked uh, you, you know we we saw Spencer go three full rounds with Cyborg and uh, people can say what they want about Nunes finishing Cyborg, which means that Nunes would have finished Spencer even sooner. Uh, you know, Spencer ate heavy heavy shots. I don't care what your technique or anything is like. She ate heavy shots from Cyborg for 15 minutes and was still there the entire time. So I expect her to at least survive seven and a half minutes against Amanda Nunes, and that's exactly what she did. So plus 1.01 units on that play. Overall, minus 3.84 units uh, on the event. Uh, small loss there. Uh, happy that I hit that Alex Caceres play just because, you know, just so, so many people seem so confident on Chase Hooper, and I didn't see it myself. Uh, but again, a loss is a loss, and I, I hate being in the red uh, when it comes to these events. But we're back at it for this weekend, UFC Vegas 2, Cynthia Calvillo against uh, Jessica I. Um, decent card all around. We had some late-minute dropouts, some late-minute replacements. Uh, Carl Roberson missed weight. Um, the guy fight, what's his name? Zaruk Adeshev missed weight. Um, and then uh, we had Gustav Lopez jump in short notice against Mirab Devalishvili due to Rayborg having to pull out, uh, but still should be a squash match there for him. Uh, we're only down to 10 fights, which is unfortunate. Uh, possibly, you know, hopefully Carl Robinson wakes up tomorrow and he's able to actually show up against Marvin Vittoria and doesn't get pulled out the day of again. Uh, and we still stick to the 10 fights, but you know, up and down, decent fights. We get to see Mirab Davalashvili again. Um, uh, Maria Agapova is an interesting prospect that's coming into this, uh, coming into the UFC here. Uh, Charles Jordanian against Andre Feely should be a super fun fight. Charles Rosa versus Kevin Aguilar should be a great fight as well. Um, couple good couple good fights to look at anthony ivy and christian aguilar is a great fight to kick off the card both guys making their debuts i'm, I'm very much looking forward to that fight um yeah that's pretty much it so uh again just a good reminder most of these breakdowns were recorded uh earlier um, and then they've just been stitched together. As soon as I record them, I post it right to my Patreon. So if you want to get these breakdowns ASAP, hit up the Patreon. Uh, you'll get them ASAP. Um, you know, you don't have to wait for the podcast to come out. Sometimes you get them a week in advance of the podcast dropping out. So you will be able to take advantage of any early line movements or anything like that. But personally, I just wait until at least like the day of or the day before to place my bets. So most people can actually... Uh, tailed them uh, at least my official bets but i still uh, try to give you guys good tidbits nice and early so that you guys are able to attack these lines before they really start moving um all right uh, there's just all the information about the patreon is in the description below so make sure you guys check that shit out and now let's just get in to the breakdowns Christian Aguilera versus Anthony Ivy. This is the first fight of the night. Uh, the line currently sits at minus 185 for Ivy, plus 160 for Aguilera. Uh, let's start off with Aguilera. He seems to be a name that more people are uh, familiar with due to his time at LFA. Um, you know, he was 
uh, a good competitor there. He headlined a couple cards for them. Uh, fun fighter too. You know, he likes to keep most fights on the feet. Uh, he likes to utilize his striking, try to drop his opponents, hurt his opponents, and obviously finish them. He has a ton of victories in the first round, a ton of finishes as well too. Uh, his last one was actually a, a victory via decision. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to find the, the fight before that uh, against Christoph Kulak. Uh, but the two fights even prior to that was against Matthew Frinko and uh, David Michaud. And both of those fights look like fights that he, uh, you know, he had lost due to uh, not really even being outstruck on the feet, uh, but more so even just getting dropped too. You know, David Michaud dropped him with a really good shot. Um, it seemed to almost even land behind the ear, but he dropped him with a good shot, got him on the ground, got him into a crucifix position and just rained down punches. And, um, you know, Aguilera couldn't really do anything. Uh, he has decent hand speed. He throws well at range uh, when he does have the range advantage. Uh, here though he's gonna ha he's gonna be giving up a little bit of range um you know three inches uh especially the high two five nine against six two so he's gonna have to overcome that size discrepancy there um but uh it, it seemed in his last fight against elizir i'm gonna i'm gonna say glaucio because I, I can't even figure out how to pronounce that name correctly uh, i hate butchering names but either way uh, in that fight it seemed he learned from the the Mashad and frinko fight or at least adjusted his game plan going forward because he started going for takedowns and he tried he tried um you know uh controlling the fight from the top position uh try to grind out rounds try to ride out rounds he found himself in a lot of uh tough positions in that third round too uh you know even in other fights uh against you know uh, ricardo sexus uh matthew frinko as well too uh late in those fights he found himself in bad positions uh with uh and even the uh yeah, sorry, it was the success phase where, uh, you know, he gave up pretty much an entire round to his back, um, but was able to survive that fight um, and then get the victory in there in the second round. But uh, in the in the Elizario fight, again, totally butchering that name, I apologize, uh, gave up his back in that third round. Uh, Elizario was able to, like, ride out that round. Obviously, he lost the first two, so uh, Aguilera was able to actually pull off the victory there. Uh, but that that's scary, you know, that, that leaves a little bit of uh, something to be desired. Uh, and when he's going in there against a guy like Anthony Ivey, I believe that Ivey will either, one, get the finish or be able to land a lot of damage from those positions. Uh, again, the size discrepancy is going to be massive here. Ivey's been going up against, uh, especially his last little run that he's had, uh, Washington Louise, Jason Langlier, uh, and Willis Black, he was going up against guys that were relatively big. Uh, Black, maybe not as big, but uh, Langlier and Louise were definitely on the bigger, lankier side. So he, he still had success in those fights. Um, going into this fight, I kind of wanted to just, you know, go over the last three fights of both the, both of these guys and kind of just move on because I've always set that precedent or that principle for myself to not really bet on fights uh, where, you know, or bet on a UFC debuter. But, uh, you know, you kind of got to throw that out of the window uh, when, one, both guys are debuting at this point, and two, there seems to be such a giant discrepancy when it comes to a certain aspect of the fight, and I think that aspect here in this fight is going to be the grappling of Anthony Ivey. I love when guys just kind of go for it. Now, not like a Chase Hooper, because you could almost compare him to a Chase Hooper in the sense where he just wants to get this fight to the ground because that's where he can do his best work. He has way better entries. He has way more confidence in his striking than a Chase Hooper. <clears throat> 
way stronger too that's one thing that you'll definitely a lot of people realize with the chase super fight hooper just didn't have a lot of strength ivy here he's a very strong uh strong individual a strong fighter and again having that huge strength height and uh size advantage over aguilar i think it's going to be even easier for him to get this fight to the ground um aguilar doesn't have like the craziest takedown defense either so i don't think that's going to be much of an issue for ivy to get him down um but i, I love the work that ivy does once he gets the fight to the ground and you know it seemed in his earlier fights that he was a little bit hesitant on the feet but he's developed a really good uh head kick uh he's developed solid elbows as well too i believe he was able to hurt washington louise uh from the clinch position with just straight elbows or it was either langley or i can't remember which one it was but either way he his striking looks better and better each fight he looks more confident with each fight and his cardio looks great too like he's relentlessly taking these guys down making them work and in turn making himself work as well too but in those in those exchanges he's always the one pushing it a little bit more uh he was able to get a fourth round finish in his last fight against a guy who probably gassed out a little bit earlier so it was a little bit easier for ivy to to really get the finish but he was still you know putting the putting his foot foot on the gas pedal really trying to get the finish in those fights and he, he is a finisher my only concern here in terms of like wanting to bet the the over under is they set it at one and a half it takes a little bit of time for ivy to really get his grappling going getting him get him to really establish his positions so we could definitely see this fight go over seven and a half minutes uh but the straight bet on anthony ivy seems to be the spot here and again i, I hate to go against something that i've said against myself in terms of not betting on debuting fighters but again you got to throw that out the window when both guys are making their ufc debuts and at this point, minus 185, minus 190, not that bad of a price tag on a guy, again, who seems to have a really giant advantage when it comes to the ground. Uh, you know, outside of a Christian Aguilera first-round KO, I really like Ivy in the spot, and he's not really coming from a camp that's very well-known. It's uh, I believe it's Brazilian top team Texas. Uh, not a lot of guys coming out of there, but Ivy seems to, Ivy seems to be a really really good guy, uh, really high level grappler too. Um, is solid entries, good timing as well too. Really sucks his opponent into thinking that this fight may be a striking battle, and then get, you know changes levels, goes for the takedown, and gets it down. Um, we've seen issues for Aguilar in terms of getting held up against the cage, and I think that's where. Um, uh, uh, Ivy really does his best work in terms of you know pushing guys up against the cage and then working for that takedown. And I don't think it's going to be that hard for him to far hard for him to secure that position in this fight against Christian Aguilera. So when you only have pretty much one path to victory, which is try to knock out your opponent, I'm definitely more than likely going to be siding with the other side. Uh, I kind of whiffed on that not last week. You know, uh, I. I really liked Devin Clark. I picked Menafield to win that fight because I just didn't believe in Clark's chin. And what did we get? We got a clinch fest for three rounds. Menafield was not able to get his shots off. And Clark was able to secure takedowns, secure pressure, uh, and win that fight. Um, so here, I think I think the, the pressure fighter, the, the grappler is definitely going to get the, the better here. And Christian Aguilar is no crazy talent again either it's there's a reason it's taken him so long to get to the ufc and even with that he's only coming into the ufc on a two-fight winning streak 
you know, you don't normally see that. I think it's more due to the times that we're currently in uh, and the UFC just trying to fill out these cards. And again, they signed Anthony Ivey to to step in against, um, to fight Gerald Mearshaw when Hanish was possibly going to have to step out to do a, a cornerman testing positive for COVID. So I'm guessing they're just, okay, we already have Anthony Ivey. We've signed him to a contract. Uh, we promised him a fight. His fight fell through. Here we are. We'll, we'll come back the next week and give him uh, Christian Aguilar, who is itching to get into the UFC, even with a 13-6 and six record. You know, sketchy. But either way, I like Anthony Ivey here. Very, very high possibility that I place a, a lock of the night play on him uh, just due to the fact that, again, his, his resume is great, uh, his fighting style is great, and he continuously gets better the size as well, too, is just going to be too much for Aguilera. So outside of a first-round KO for Aguilera, I think this is going to be a, a mollywop uh, via Anthony Ivy. I'm going to go with second-round sub or second-round TKO, uh, but I'm not 100% sure about that over-under, so don't bother playing that. But Chris, uh, Anthony Ivy is the way to go here. Tyson Nam versus Zaruk Adeshev. Uh, we got Tyson Nam at minus 125, plus 105 for Zaruk. Uh, let's start off with Zaruk uh, I'm going to be honest right off the bat. It's very tough to find footage on him. He's had three Bellator fights and one fight for Ring of Combat. Um, however, uh, obviously being up in Canada, Bellator has weird like geographical, uh, you know, um, I don't know what they call them, geographical blackouts uh, for people not to see fights in Canada. For some reason, it's weird on their website. Everybody in the States is av available and able to see these fights. Unfortunately, not for us up in Canada. I even tried my VPN trick, still wasn't able to get any footage or, or you know, able to crack that Bellator code. Uh, but regardless, um, you know, w I did see some highlights about the kid. Uh, you know, the fact that it is a highlight video, it just shows all of his positives and not really any of his negatives. Um, he is also a glory kickboxer. So he definitely has that, uh, you know, th that under his belt in terms of experience that he's accrued. Uh, he mainly seems like a, a stand-up striker, throws a, a ton in bunches, um, you know, decent leg kicks seem to have decent takedowns as well too. Um, a good blast double, but it seems like his most um, his most utilized weapon is his striking and his knockout power. Um, he has uh, what is it? Two knockouts on his record, one by decision, and then uh, his only loss was due to a rear naked choke. But with that said, there isn't much of a submission threat uh, from Tyson uh, Nam here, regardless. So. I expect this to mainly be a stand-up battle. Uh, Tyson Nam will have a slight uh, size advantage on him, 5'7", 68-inch reach, compared to uh, Zaruk, which is 5'5", and 64.5-inch reach. Um, you know, the, the experience in the UFC for Tyson Nam should be a little bit more uh, valuable. Uh, Zaruk is still quite young in his MMA career. This is only going to be his fifth MMA fight compared to Tyson Nam coming in on his... Uh, what is that? 30th, 31st MMA fight. Ton of experience there. Um, it, it's so hard for me to get a to get a grasp on this fight again, just due to the the lack of tape that there is out there on Zaruk. Uh, personally, I will pass on this fight. Um, I do like the aggressiveness that I did see from Zaruk and the, the the little bit of footage that I did see of him. Um, Tyson M seemed a little bit gun shy and hesitant in his fight against uh, Kai Car France last time around. Um, I actually bet the under two and a half in that because I think it was like plus two hundred or something. Uh, but I expected you know. 
know, both guys are bangers. Both guys can knock knock each other out. Um, but, uh, you know, I think Tyson Nam didn't really fulfill his end of what I expected to happen in that fight, uh, which is why Kai Carfrance came out with the W with the, the, the unanimous decision there. And if he does the same thing against Zarouk here, and again, in a fight that he has a reach and size advantage, he could let it get away from him. You know, Zeru could absolutely go, absolutely go out there and outstrike uh, Tyson Nam, especially if Tyson Nam is going to be gun shy. Um, but yeah, toss up fight for me. Um, impressed with what I've seen with Zeru, the the little bit I have seen. Uh, the dog money may be a little bit worth it, uh, but in total, I'm, I'm totally going to pass on this fight. I just can't confidently put money on either side here, um, but uh, I, I do like what I see from Zarouk, and I, I'm interested to see uh, what he brings to the table uh, in his uh, UFC debut and what he can do moving forward. So um, for the sake of of making a pick here, I'm going to go with Tyson M because he has the UFC experience, because uh, he has the range. Um, I think he knows he's kind of on the chopping block here, so he really needs a victory. Uh, his experience will definitely play into factor here against Zarouk, who's still quite young in his career. Um, yeah, I'm going to completely pass on this fight, though. Not even going to throw in a Hail Mary, nothing. Not even bothering with this fight. Uh, I'll go with Tyson Nam, but uh, not that confident in it at all. Julia Vila versus Gina Mzaney. Uh We got minus 600 on Julia Vila. Plus five uh, plus five oh five on Gina Mazzani. Let's start off with the Raging Panda Julia Vila. I think she's just been uh, you know it's been an unfortunate run for her in terms of getting back into the cage after her successful UFC debut over Pani Kianzad. She went into that fight and absolutely put it on Kianzad. We saw the power in her hands after she was uh, rocking Kianzad numerous occasions in that fight. Even, uh, you know, in her fights before that, uh, she has a ton of finishes on her record. She is a finisher. She likes to go out there, put the pressure on her opponents, really throw her hands, uh, and then implement her clinch game and takedown games as well, too. Uh, she's very good from on top, uh, but her best uh, ac- uh, attributes, I'd say, would be her... Um, her ability to move forward, not really care too much about what's coming back at her, uh, but still put it on her opponents without really taking too much damage. Her only loss in her career is to Marcia Allen. Uh, it was uh, her first Invicta fight, uh, 49 seconds into the fight, uh, or well, right before the 49 second mark in the, in the fight, she was uh, pawing away the front kicks of Allen, and she was actually able to, um, or Allen actually ended up uh, you know, dislocating one of the fingers. You could actually see one of the bones from Avila too. That was actually one of the nastier injuries I've seen. And just a testament to how badass and tough Avila is, she looked like she just didn't really care. She was more so upset that she was going to incur her first loss to do something like that. She didn't even show any pain, nothing. Like, she went over and showed it to her opponent, and her opponent was just disgusted. Like, why the fuck would you show me that? It was it was kind of hilarious to see that interaction. But uh, in terms of her fighting style, she's beaten her, her first ever UFC, or her first ever pro fight was against uh, UFC fighter uh, Marion Renault. And then in her third fight, she went out there and uh, beat Nico Montano in a five-round fight. In a fight that, you know, she may be lost one round tops. Outside of that, she did a good job of, you know, uh, beating Nico Montano up on the feet, getting the better of the clinch exchanges. And, uh, you know, Montano got Avila down a couple times, uh, but uh, Avila was able to get up. She showed resiliency. She showed the fact that, uh, you know, she, she listens to her coaches very well, too. You'll see them or hear them yelling certain instructions at her and she's pretty much within the next five or ten seconds following those instructions so she's a very coachable fighter uh she fights out of a small gym in oklahoma city so a lot of the 
a lot of the focus is really on her, which is really good. Uh, kind of like the Sugar Sean thing that I was saying with uh, with Tim Welch. Um, the, another thing about Julia Villa is that, you know, with her coming forward and with her being able to land all these shots, her opponents kind of are like uh, intimidated by her within the first three or four minutes. And I think she'll be able to do that against Gina Mazzani here. Gina Mazzani, you know, tough, tough tough stretch um you know the reason the only reason really she's really back in the ufc is that she's coming off a win but let's dissect that win a little bit valerie barney you know coming into that fight she was five and one but little do you know if you actually look into that record her last fight was way back in 2011 she's 44 years old uh no clear reason as to why she had re retired or at least went on an mma hiatus but that fight just seemed like a fight where it was just a toss-up for mazani to just come in there um you know and get a victory uh maybe not expect a ufc call right after but considering you know that fight was back in january but considering everything that's going on you know the the ufc is trying to fill up fights uh julia Vila was actually supposed to fight carol rosa um at uh ufc what was it ufc oklahoma city um and obviously that that fight has been canceled Carol rosa is now scheduled to fight uh, melissa grotto i believe it is um i might be off on that but regardless julia villa was without an opponent so what does the ufc do gina mazzani is in las vegas let's call her up let's get her into this fight uh let's get a uh you know let's get a villa a fight uh, and possibly a win here and i do believe she's more than deserving of that minus 600 ranking um you know gina mazzani the only real shot she has to winning this fight is getting this fight to the ground and even when she gets fights to the ground she just doesn't have the best uh, top control she doesn't have the best top game you know the the most dominant quote-unquote the most dominant we've seen her is the third round she had against yinan Wu and uh or Wun Yanan, again, these Chinese names, I just keep fucking them up. But regardless, uh, you know, uh, going into the corner before round three, uh, we saw Wu Yanan actually had a, a shoulder injury or some sh some something, maybe a stinger or something, whatever it was. But that's what Gina Mazzini was able to capitalize on in that third round. And even with that, she just still wasn't able to finish her either. Not saying that Mazzini is a crazy finisher or anything like that, but, you know, you, you got to be a little bit skeptical about the, the skill level of Mazzini if she's not able able to go out there and beat a beat a girl like that uh decisively i should say too um one thing i do want to remind people as well is uh with gina mazzini in her fight against uh lena landsberg going into the third round i believe it is in that corner you see her about to heave you see her about to uh you know absolutely puke her brains out just from exhaustion you know there's a lot of clinch work in that fight there's a lot of knees to the body um you know lena landsberg was really making mazzini work in that fight and you know mazzini didn't completely poop the bed when she came uh into that third round she still had a little bit of offense in her but she's just not you know a girl like julia Vila is just gonna absolutely steamroll her and you know usually i'm not uh on board with parlaying minus 600s minus 700s but this is a spot man where you can't really overlook the skill of julia Vila, the potential that she has that she's so close to reaching and then the victories that she already has under her belt um whatever fight that nico montano was going to bring to uh julia Vila back then you know gina mazzani is going to bring a quarter of that here and i think avila is just so hyped and ready to get into the to the cage uh we also remember that when she came back from that hand injury she came back within three months three and a half months she was back in the cage and she absolutely put it on ashley dean who you know skill wise probably shouldn't be in there but again she comes back beats alexa connor's absolutely molly her as well too um 
one thing I did want to point out about the Nico Montano fight, that fight was the fight right before Nico Montano went into the Ultimate Fighter House and then went on to beat Barb Honchak. She beat uh, Lauren Murphy. She beat, um, there's one more, I believe she beat Roxanne Martafari as well too. Uh, sorry, Lauren Murphy, Montana De La Rosa, who's also a great fighter, Barb Honchak, and then she goes on to be Roxanne Modafari to become the champion. Um, and then obviously we know the whole thing behind that. But the fact that literally it was right after she lost to Julia Avila and the, 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 the fight and performance that Avila put on her, you would think that Avila should have been the one that got into the house. I'm not 100% sure why she didn't uh, either one, try out for it, or two, get picked to be on the show. But she she looked great back then, and she looks even better now. So I think that she's going to absolutely run through Gina Mazzani here, and she could be an absolute, you know, she's just a, a cherry on top of a parlay piece. Uh, if you if you really want to throw in a parlay, I, I would... I, I, I wouldn't bat an eye at it at all. So I like Julia Avila here. Uh, I could definitely see her getting it finished probably in the first or second round. So maybe even Avila inside the distance. Let's see what that is. Um, if it's minus money, I probably would... Uh, not even consider it. Uh, the under two and a half is minus one thirty-five, which isn't too bad. Um, uh, Avila inside the distance is minus one thirty. So, you know, you can take her inside the distance, but I would probably just parlay her to be on the safe side. Mazzani is decent. You know, she got wrecked by Kiasan in her last UFC fight. Uh, Kiasan, uh, I believe, has a little bit more power than Avila, but I think Avila is just more aggressive. So, I can't. 100% uh, say that she, for sure she'll win inside the distance, but I'm going to pr- predict a second round finish for Julia Avila. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to say a first round finish for Julia Avila, but uh, not confident to play that minus 130 inside the distance. Uh, but I definitely am um, for parlaying her at minus 600 or minus 650, wherever is that. Um, but yeah, I like Julia Avila to win by first round TKO. Marab Davalishvili versus Gustavo Lopez. This is a super short notice fight for Gustavo Lopez, who had to step in due to Ray Borg pulling out due to family reasons. Uh, there was a little bit of drama yesterday regarding Gustavo Lopez and whether he was actually going to be able to take the fight or not due to the fact that uh, Combate Americas and Campbell McLaren were going to possibly block him. Uh, seemed to, you know, create a fuss over nothing, ended up releasing him anyways uh, from his grace period Um and now here he is against Mirab Devalishvili, probably the worst possible matchup you could have in your first UFC fight, especially on two days' notice. One thing you're definitely going to have when you fight Mirab is cardio. And who knows how much Gustavo has actually been training and how good uh, he is fit at this point. The The fight is actually taking place at 140 pounds, so obviously he wasn't in shape. He must have had to cut a, a good chunk of weight to be able to make the 140-pound catch weight anyway. So that's something that's already working against him. This breakdown is not going to be too heavy because I think it's the the pass in general at the current line minus 750 is a little bit of a, it's just a pass. You know, I mean, Marab really we know what we're getting with that guy. Nonstop cardio, um, forward pressure. Uh, he could have cardio for fucking 60 minutes. He could do 10 five-minute rounds if you wanted back to back to back. And he'll still probably be able to outpace and finish his opponent uh, by that time. Um you know, my my main concern here is him getting knocked out. You know, he he is uh, he is durable. He that's the one thing. He has a decent chin, but Gustavo Lopez seems to have some decent power in his hands. He's finished both of his last fights by TKO. Uh, his last one being probably one of the most gruesome KOs. It reminded me of Terry Adam uh, getting knocked out by Edson Barboza. Not the spinning wheel kick aspect of it, just the the aesthetic of his opponent just being completely out. And it didn't even seem like he had the biggest wind up either. It was just perfect timing, 
perfect spot. He caught he caught his opponent like at at the perfect uh, time to to be able to put him out to that aspect. So a minus seven fifty doesn't really add much value to a parlay in my opinion. Like if you really want to throw a hail mary out there, I think Davalishvili is is definitely a very safe play. Uh, but minus seven fifty for some reason to me just doesn't seem to uh, bring the most value. Um, I'm not saying not to parlay him, uh, but. Uh, you know, it just doesn't add enough value to a parlay to 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 make it super worth it, especially considering that Gustavo could you know possibly hit Marab and put him out. Um, you know, Marab is hittable. That's one of his downfall downsides, and that's one of the few downsides that that he has because all of his upsides are just massive upsides. Again, cardio, pace, wrestling, all of that ridiculous. I think I forgot which fight it was, but they said that he had uh, thirty five takedowns in seven fights or something like that, or something even crazier than that. He is a machine. It is insane. I, no, sorry, it was 35 takedowns in five fights. That's insane. That is absolutely insane that he's able to achieve that. So I expect him to do the same thing here to Gustavo Lopez. I don't think he's going to be scared of him in terms of when it comes to the grappling. Uh, the one thing he's just going to have to look out for is the right hand, um, is the power of Gustavo. But outside of that, he should go out there and just mop the floor with Gustavo. So I like Marab to win this fight. Uh, maybe even by second or third round TKO, I just see him overwhelming Gustavo. Gustavo is just going to have to curl up and, and uh, he will gas probably by you know, maybe a round and a half or so, and then we see Marab get a late second round finish or an early third round finish. But this should be a statement fight for him, and hopefully he gets that Ray Borg fight again because that would have been a great fight for him too. Uh, but yeah, I like Marab to win this fight. I'm going to say by third round TKO. Hannah Cyphers versus Maria Agabo- Agapova. I'm going to butcher that, but it seems pretty easy to say. Agapova. 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 Anyway, uh, minus 340 on Agapova uh, as she makes her UFC debut and plus 310 on Hannah Cyphers. Let's start off with Hannah Cyphers making a quick turnaround after she gave up a knee bar submission to Mackenzie Dern last time out. I believe that was, uh, yeah, that was less than, that was two weeks ago. She's jumping right back in there. This is going to be her third fight in 2020, so she's definitely staying busy uh, trying to cash that paycheck, um, trying to get it as much as possible, and especially with her losing her last two fights uh, you know, and only getting half of her pay. I'm sure she really wants to just get back in there and hopefully uh, rack up a victory. Um, you know, One thing that made me really question her fight IQ last time around against Mackenzie Dern was she was doing really well on the feet. She was doing really well in the clinch positions too, which is a spot that she probably shouldn't have been in. Um, and even when she was getting taken down or uh, Mackenzie Dern was attempting to take her down, she did a really good job in terms of reversing or even stuffing takedowns. So she was looking really good up until the point that she decided that, okay, I'm going to try to ground and pound Mackenzie Dern and maybe I'll get a finish that way. Nope. Probably the stupidest thing you could do, and I was very... I had no money on Hannah Cyphers there, but, uh, you know, it, you just pull your hair out when you see fighters do things that they know, red flag, red alert, high alert. It's the last thing you should fucking do, is try to mess around with Mackenzie Dern with her back on the ground. Um, so, you know, if she allowed Dern to get back on her feet, it could have been a completely different fight. You know, maybe Dern would have gotten her down later in the fight, but, you know, at that point in time, she could have easily disengaged, let uh, Dern back on her feet, and start to do her work with her hands. Um, unfortunately, that's not what happened. She ended up getting in, uh, tapped out via knee bar, 
And uh, yeah, just another unfortunate loss on the record. Now here she is against Maria Agapova, who's making her UFC debut and seems to be a pretty tough out um, and and a pretty tricky uh, puzzle for Cyphers to solve here. We know Cyphers has strong power, um, you know, uh, she is strong physically as well too. Uh, her strikes are good. Her kicks are good. Um, her jiu-jitsu is decent enough, uh, but she's able to overpower opponents every now and then even though she's a, a quite small uh, 115er. She would really benefit from a 105-pound division. Um, I've talked about how we should always scrap the 145-pound division, get us a 105-pound division because there's a ton more talent there and there's going to be a lot more exciting fights there as well too. We're not going to just have week in and week out Amanda Nunes going in there and just molly whopping somebody. So... Um, um, yeah, 105 would be great. But getting back to Hannah Cyphers, she needs to keep this fight on the feet. And even if she keeps this fight on the feet, I think she needs to initiate the clinch and try to overpower Agapova in this fight. Agapova has that weird, like, Yuana Yanjacek type style where, or even vibe. You know, I mean, when you see her, the way she just bops around when she's getting her, her uh, you know, when Bruce Buffer or whoever will be announcing her, she just has that, like, that vibe about her where she's super confident. And then even the way she moves, she moves very well. She kicks very well. Um, she has killer instinct as well too. I think that will come in handy here. Uh, but we, we, I have seen her in the past, you know, get controlled in the clinch. And I'm not just talking about the Tracy Cortez fight, which is the one fight that she's lost um, and the only loss on her record. But uh, Hannah Seifers has the strength to make it interesting against Agapova in terms of, you know, keeping her clinched up against the cage um, and, and making it interesting. I think a lot of people are just writing Hannah Seifers off just quickly again because Angela Hill was able to to trick her into thinking this was going to be a stand-up fight and then got a beautiful a takedown off a tie clinch and then Mackenzie Dern obviously that that fight IQ gaff it's it's just it's infuriating but um you know I'm not saying I'm going to go out there and bet Hannah Cyphers at the plus 300 ish line that she's currently at uh but I don't think she's as much of a pushover as most people are thinking uh especially with her last two performances um you know Agapova she's able to stay on the feet uh you know stay moving um you know keep her kicks consistent uh throwing strikes out there keeping her distance I think she could easily cruise to a decision victory and maybe even a stoppage at some point but uh, if Hannah Cyphers gets her hands on her and pushes her up against the cage and makes things dirty and knees her and and just just stays active in that aspect it could be a much closer fight than the odds actually suggest um you know, earlier in the week, I saw the line roughly around the minus 240, minus 250 range. And now we're seeing it just absolutely plummet down to minus 340. Um, a lot of people are buying into the Maria Agapova hype. Um, you know, this could be a, an easy matchup for her, again, if she stays moving. Um, but I, I'm not sure if I feel comfortable playing her at minus 340. I don't even know if I'm comfortable parlaying her at this spot. And that might give me a lot of flack because a lot of people are sold on Agapova. But I have concerns about betting a UFC debuter. And I may have a bet on a UFC debuter earlier on this card. But that's just because he's going up against another UFC debuter. But here, Hannah Cyphers has a couple UFC victories under her belt. A couple UFC fights under her belt as well, too. And Agapova is just stepping into this. And again, there's that weird... Uh, you know, X factor of uh, fighting in front of no crowd. So, you know, those UFC jitters may not be as, as, uh, um, as much of an impact or impede anybody's performance as much as that would have if they were to fight in front of like 15,000, 20,000 fans that are normally at UFC events. But uh, I like Agapova and there's Alfred going off with his barking. Not sure what, what he's going through, but it's all good. He's cool. Uh, getting back to to the breakdown though, um, 
I will take Agapova to win this fight probably by second or third round stoppage, but I just don't feel like uh, I'm confident enough to either A, parlay her, uh, or B, just obviously pay her, play her straight. I think the line is just a little bit too crazy. Um, so I like... Uh, I like Agapova here to win by second round TKO, um, but it, it's probably going to be a pass for me. Let me see what the, the over-under is actually. Ooh, plus 147, plus 150 for the under two and a half. You know what? That's actually not that bad of a bet. You know, Agapova, most of her fights have uh, been by finish. She's had one, two, three, four, five, six fights finish under two and a half rounds. Uh, I lied, actually. Um, one of her fights actually finished um, just over the halfway point in the third round. Uh, so she has a ton of finishes on her record. And then uh, Hannah Cyphers, obviously we know her her stature in terms of always wanting to go for the knockout um, and always go for the finish. So she has a bunch of uh, finishes and finish losses on her record too. Man, I like that under two and a half now that I'm looking at it. That's probably the play in this in this fight actually. Both girls are, are very aggressive. Both girls have a lot of... Um, uh, you know, finishing abilities. Uh, I think Agapova will be a little bit more prone to get the finisher just due to the accumulation of strikes and then eventually overwhelming Cyphers and probably landing a good enough shot to put her on her butt and get the finish. Uh, but I'll go with Agapova to win by second round finish, uh, TKO. And uh, yeah, I, I, the, the under two and a half just caught my eye now. So I'm a little bit giddy about that. I might play that. We'll see how, again, how the rest of the card plays out in terms of the lines. Uh, but yeah, I like uh, Agapova to win here by second round TKO. Um, and the under two and a half is definitely a live underdog bet if you guys are into that. Mark De La Rosa versus Jordan Espinoza. We got Jordan Espinoza at minus 170, plus 155 for Mark De La Rosa. Let's start off with Mark De La Rosa. He's coming off a KO loss or a TKO loss to Holly and Paiva way back at uh, uh, Rio Rancho, uh, which was February 15th. Um, <clears throat> That was a fight where he was more so outgunned on the feet. You know, there are fights where Mark De La Rosa, when he's really in it, uh, his hands look decent, his aggression looks good. It looks like he actually wants to to go out there and get the victory. In the Alex Perez fight, it just didn't seem like he was motivated enough or, you know, he just didn't have enough in the gas. I'm not sure what it was. Um, but, uh, you know, he's a decent fighter. The the Kai Car France fight as well, too. Uh, he was just a little bit more outgunned in terms of power there. And Kai Car France was able to come out with the victory. But De La Rosa, his bread and butter is jiu-jitsu, you know. Uh, he is most successful when fights get to the ground and he's able to get guys to the ground and i think uh in this fight against jordan espinoza that's a high possibility if he's able to withstand the speed and the power ish from jordan espinoza um he should be able to find a, a solid entry get a takedown and start to implement his jiu-jitsu uh, jordan espinoza is somebody that hasn't been overly impressive you know his victory over eric shelton was super close um you know it could have gone either way um you know i i wasn't really I, I thought I would be more impressed with him in that fight. I just was not. Uh, in the match now in Alex Perez fights, those went for a total of three minutes and 56 seconds <clears throat> combined. And again, not very impressive. Uh, the only thing that I'm really impressed by with Espinosa is a little bit of his movement. His speed is really good. And the way he's able to jab some, certain guys' faces off. Um, you know, he, he holds his left hand so low that when he does come in for a jab, it comes in from an awkward angle that most opponents aren't able to speak. Most opponents are not able to see. And especially with the speed of it, more often than not, it lands. Um, he has to, he really has to close the distance 
with his speed, land those punches, get in and out before getting hit. And I think that's where Mark De La Rosa should be able to be successful in terms of timing those in and out movements, timing the takedown, and then even, you know, pushing Jordan Espinosa up against the cage. I think Espinosa will have a slight um, uh, strength advantage here. Um, what's the, uh, yeah, they're fighting at Bantamweight. More so, these guys are actually flyweights. Uh, and again, just like the, um, what was that fight earlier? Uh, Charles Rosa and Kevin Aguilar. More often than not, those guys fight at 145 pounds. They're fighting at 155. Same things with same thing with these guys. Natural flyweights. They're fighting at bantamweight now, just for the whole COVID situation. But um, in terms of uh, leaning aside here, uh, I, I lean the Mark De La Rosa side, and that's not just because the odds, uh, given that he's the dog. But Espinosa doesn't really do anything that blows your hair back. Um, again, the speed is pretty much where he has the advantage. Uh, his striking is decent. He doesn't really throw in combinations often. It's more so just like that that swift jab coming up and then he throws a punch right behind it. More often than not, it's just two shots. Decent kicks. Uh, but again, I think he's going to get in trouble if Mark De La Rosa is able to uh, you know, time takedowns well, get this fight to the ground, and really implement his jiu-jitsu. We've seen Jordan Espinosa get tapped in back-to-back fights. Uh, match now not really known to be a jiu-jitsu guy either. That guy's mainly a striker, and he goes out there and, and pulls off a triangle choke against uh, Jordan Espinosa. And then Alex Perez, a wrestler, so obviously he has submissions in his back pocket. He was able to pull off a beautiful arm triangle choke from from the far side when he had the half guard, which was very, very impressive. Mark De La Rosa, I think, is just as crafty as those guys. Um, obviously, he's not as big as Alex Perez, which is why he probably won't be able to pull off a, you know an arm triangle choke from half guard. Uh, but he can definitely get to the submission positions uh, better than most of those guys. Um yeah, Jordan, again, Jordan Espinosa, very, very sketchy resume. Um, I think that he, he'll he have a lot of success here. Um, I'm just not sure if I'm confident enough to bet him at the underdog money either, though. I think there's a lot of better opportunities for underdogs uh, sprinkled out throughout the card. But I do like Mark De La Rosa to him because I feel like he has more paths to victory. Um, at a certain point, the speed is going to start to deteriorate for Jordan Espinosa, but the heart and will of Mark De La Rosa is still going to be there, and his ability to get fights to the ground is still going to be there too. So again, not overly impressed by Espinosa. I'm not sure why he's the, the, the this heavy of a favorite. I expected this fight to maybe be closer to minus 130, minus 135, uh, except we're getting minus 175, minus 180 for Jordan Espinosa now. So either dog or pass in this situation, more than likely I'm going to be passing because, again, I'm not 100% comfortable putting my money on Mark De La Rosa either. Um, but, yeah, I like uh, De La Rosa to win this fight. I'll say by a third-round submission or decision, I see him eventually, you know, getting this fight to the ground uh, time and time again, riding this fight from on top. Uh, but I like Espinosa here, and I'm going to take him to win by, I'll say by decision. Andre Feely versus Charles Jourdain. We got minus 225 on Andre Feely, plus 205 for Charles Air Jourdain. Let's start off with Charles Jourdain. He's coming off a successful victory over uh, Duho Choi last time around. Uh, very sketchy first round and a half roughly for him uh troy was having a lot of success finding the chin um you know he was just obviously he's very much the crisper striker in that matchup um you know everybody already knows the rap on troy you know very good stand up uh super crisp with his punches his jab is on point um 
but it, it really comes down to him just getting sucked into firefights and his chin just not being able to withstand most of these punches from these guys. And that's where Charles was able to capitalize. He did uh, drop him at the end of the first round and then obviously finished him in the second round with the left cross. Um, beautiful fight um, for Troy. Uh, Charles obviously showing a little bit of... He, he showed a little bit of potential in that fight. You know, we, we saw the type of fighter that he actually was. Uh, you know, Des Green really didn't allow him to really showcase the type of fighter he was. Uh, but he's a very flat she uh, likes to throw a lot of spinning stuff uh, you know very confident in his punching skills uh, or his in his striking skills um, but when it comes to fighting a more technical fighter he's going to have trouble luckily for him with Andre Feely you're talking about a guy that doesn't really have the the most technical striking he has good striking i would say that they're they're kind of on par with striking uh but i think the real difference here is going to be the potential wrestling threat that andre feely can implement here um you know obviously coming from a camp like team alpha male they really like their grappling they like their submissions they like their takedowns um and andre feely has kind of been an outlier in this in that camp in terms of being one of the few guys that's more of a flashy striker uh or more of a striker than a grappler compared to the rest of his team alpha male uh you know peers uh minus 225 though is is a little bit of a stretch in my opinion uh i think charles has a ton of potential like i've been watching this kid since uh you know his amateur fighting days i'm trying to look back at uh what what is record yeah roughly around the um uh 2015 2014 it was really when i started to come across this kid especially him and his brother too his brother louis is pretty talented as well he he's had a rough stretch in the in the pro scene but uh you know charles jordan has looked really good um his first loss came against tj laramie if you guys have been following my youtube channel you saw that i actually had tj in studio and uh tj did had a really good performance against him he went out there and showed that if you wrestle charles jordan that's what's going to be his achilles heel and then we obviously saw that in the des green fight as well too and i think that feely will implement that uh that grappling game but i think his striking is good enough with charles where he can keep this fight on the feet uh long enough for charles to get too comfortable and then we'll see philly start to shoot him for takedowns and we've seen you know philly implement takedowns pretty well especially in that fight against sodiq yusuf pretty much just in the first round he went over two in the next two rounds on takedowns but uh you know he was able to realize when he had hurt Sodiq and uh, make the change uh, and change levels and really get the takedown in those aspects and I expect him to kind of do the same here I'm not I don't think that he's gonna try to wait till he rocks Charles before he tries to get him down but um, I think that uh, he'll be able to lull Charles into the, thinking that it's gonna be a striking battle and then eventually get the takedown I could see him like doing a game plan where he strikes for about like three minutes three and a half minutes and then goes for a takedown later or if he really doesn't want to mess around he actually goes for the for the takedown a little bit sooner maybe a minute or a minute and a half into the fight but you know he has a decent chin he hasn't been knocked out since he fought Yair Rodriguez back in 2016 uh Charles Jordan has decent power but I think that we're still trying to we're still trying to put a put our finger on exactly how good his punching power is Duho Choi he's just been you know he's just been cracked too much he's he's pretty much damaged goods at this point in time so I think in this fight we'll really see um you know what uh, Charles Jordan's uh, knockout power is like if he's able to land on Feely and I I give him a good chance of possibly landing on Feely um which is why I'm not comfortable taking the minus 225 on Andre Feely, but I just like the overall package that Feely brings to the table. You know, he will stay competitive on the feet, but his real bread and butter in this fight should be the grappling and should be the takedowns. And he has decent entries. You know, he, again, training with a great team in Team Alpha Male, it should really help him, uh, 
you know, uh, be able to to mix the striking with the takedowns. And again, Charles is just so so wacky, and it, he has decent jujitsu off of his back, but it's nothing high level that Andre Feely hasn't seen before or nor what he sees in the gym on a regular basis. Um, you know, Charles comes from a smaller gym. It's pretty much just him and his brother. He does work a couple of times every now and then with the guys over there in Quebec. I think uh, Olivier Aubameau works with him every now and then as well too. Um, so he gets decent looks, but he's not getting looks like Andre Feely. And I think that's where it's going to really start to pay dividends for Jordan to to maybe not leave Pro Star, which is the gym that he's at right now, uh, but travel a little bit more. And obviously, we're in a weird period right now where COVID is pretty much taking over the world, and it's hard for guys to really travel around and get different looks. Uh, but I think in the future, and he's still a young kid. Like I, th- I believe he is younger than me. Yeah, he's twenty four. So uh, he's born in ninety five. Still has a ton of time to grow. He still has a solid eleven to twelve years of fighting, um, especially if he takes his fighting seriously and and doesn't incur too much damage. But I like Andre Feely in this fight, and it kind of hurts me to say that because going into this, I kind of wanted to bet on Charles Jordan. Uh, you know, you can call it favoritism, you can call it bias, you can call it, you know, maybe just off of potential. But uh, after reviewing the tape, it's it's kind of difficult to to truly be comfortable placing that plus two hundred on Charles as well. Um, it is a dog or pass situation in my opinion. But uh, with that said, if the line starts to come down on Andre Feely, like better than minus two hundred or so, uh, I think the value is definitely on Feely at that point. Um, I like Feely to win this fight. Not confident enough to bet on him, uh, but I'm going to take him to win this fight by decision. Um, I think it's a good fight for him to really get uh, a solid win under his belt. Uh, you know, really use it a lot, utilize his grappling game, show people that he's not just a striker. Um, and and yeah, he should secure this victory uh, via pretty much grinding it out. So I'm going to take Andre Philly to win this fight by decision, uh, but it's a pass for me in terms of betting. Charles Rosa versus Kevin Aguilar. We got minus 185 on Kevin Aguilar, plus 170 on Charles Rosa. Most people remember Charles Rosa from his fight most recently at UFC 249 against Bryce Mitchell, where Bryce Mitchell went out there and completely ragdolled him. Um, even in the breakdown of that fight, I, you know, I, it was a pass of a fight for me. Uh, I wanted to go into that fight betting Bryce Mitchell. I ended up passing. Um, but, uh, you know, near the ending of that breakdown, I did say that I believe that, uh, you know, Bryce Mitchell could absolutely go out there and mollywop, uh, Charles Rosa, but I just wasn't confident in it at the time. Uh, and then Bryce Mitchell came out there and, uh, you know, pretty much separated himself from a lot of the, the rest of the division. Cause I expect whenever Bryce goes out there and fights again, you're probably not going to see him at a, uh, at a decent enough betting line anymore, at least depending on his opponent. But we're talking about Charles Rosa here. So. Charles Rosa, again, uh, I like his striking, uh, decent enough, you know, sometimes he comes out with that Wonderboy karate style stance, uh, decent kicks, uh, he had a lot of success against Shane Burgos, who is a guy that I believe uh, is one of the top guys in that division, um, you know, at 145, uh, Burgos is a problem, the The interesting thing about this fight is the this Rosa and Aguilar fight, is that it's up at 155, and I'm assuming that has to do with this whole COVID thing, um, you know, just trying to match guys up, I believe Kevin Aguilar was actually scheduled to fight somebody else um, before this whole COVID thing happened, but anyway, they're, they're fighting now, um, Kevin Aguilar, it's, it's funny that he's fighting on the same card as somebody named Christian Aguilera, 
similar enough last names, uh, but they also have similar fighting styles. I'd say uh, Kevin Aguilar, though, is a little bit better in terms of implementing that style and being a little bit more offensive with it, whereas Christian Aguilar is always just looking for that one knockout shot. Kevin Aguilar is, yes, he's also looking for that one knockout shot, but he moves quite well. Um, but in his last couple of fights, his, his striking defense has started to take a little bit of a hit, and I don't mean the pun, well, pun intended, I guess you can say. But, uh, you know, rocked and finished by Zubera Tukukov, rocked numerous times with Dan Ige, wasn't able to get the finish there. But, uh, you know, Kevin Aguilar seems to be on a little bit of a decline. And uh, mix that in with his, um, you know, it's tough to, like, he's an efficient enough striker, but if a guy goes out there and, uh, you know, just puts a little bit more volume on Aguilar, they could definitely run away with the fight. Um, I'm kind of surprised that he was able to, like, you know, have that undefeated run for as long as he had um, before running into Dan Ige, um, considering what his style is like. You know, the, the Enrique Barzola fight, I believe I bet Barzola in that fight. Uh, and, you know, Barzola, obviously, is, his main thing is to try to get fights to the ground and grind out opponents, but he wasn't able to do that, and Kevin Aguilar was able to, you know, open up the rest of his striking game and actually get the victory in that fight. Um, it's it's hard for me to find a reason to bet Kevin Aguilar at minus 185. Uh, I think the, the odds are a little bit too high there. Um, you know, again, he just... It seems like a little bit of a one-dimensional style where he's always just, uh, he has tight striking, good striking, decent power, uh, but you can't always just rely on that. You know, Charles Rosa, I think he's better all around. Uh, well, as an all-around fighter, I think he's better. Uh, Kevin Aguilar, though, has the better striking, that's for sure, uh, and obviously the better power, too. Um Aguilar, not the worst off of his back either. He showed decent uh, submission defense and submission attempts against Dan Ige. Uh, Charles Rosa, obviously, you got to, you got to take that Bryce Mitchell fight as kind of a, an anomaly. You know, like whenever people fight Khabib Nurmagomedov or when people fight uh, Tatiana Suarez, you know, you got to look at those fights and kind of just write them off. Like they're, those those fighters are like once in a while type of talents and once in a while type of fighters uh, that not every fighter can replicate or will fairly be able to represent what, that, what a guy like Charles Rosa actually is capable of. So I still believe in Charles Rosa. I think that plus 170 uh, is not too bad of a line for him. You know, I think that uh, he has some decent value there. Uh, not 100% sure if I would bet him in this spot. Um, quick turnaround, you know, I believe that fight was May 9th. So he's coming back just over a month later to, to get back in the cage and get back into the win column. Um, yeah, solid value on him here. I could see him absolutely outpointing Kevin Aguilar. One thing he's going to have to stay away from is the power. Um, if he continuously kicks Kevin Aguilar, um, you know, mo most of Aguilar's stri uh, striking does come from his hands. Not as heavy as a kicker uh, as Charles Rosa is. So if Charles Rosa is able to get kicks off and really start moving around and and doing good work he can make it very very interesting um plus 170 again i think he has a ton of value there um possible bet not 100 percent sure yet want to see what the other dogs look like for the card um but I, I like him in this fight i could see him going out there and winning this fight by decision i the only concern again is just making sure that he doesn't get clipped by kevin aguilar or allow kevin aguilar to really get comfortable and get his striking going but uh if charles rosa continuously moves uh makes it hard for kevin aguilar to to to, to land on him uh, i could definitely see rosa being successful here so i'm going to go with rosa by decision uh good good value at plus 170 in my opinion so if you're looking for a dog to take i think charles rosa is a good spot here and just again don't let the bryce mitchell fight uh impact your thinking going into this fight because i do think that fight does have a little bit of an impact on the on the um 
on the betting line because I think this fight should be lined a little bit closer. And again, Kevin Aguilar is not going to go out there and Bryce Mitchell, Charles Rosa here. Uh, he's going to go out there and Kevin Aguilar, Charles Rosa. And if he goes out there and Kevin Aguilar is Charles Rosa, uh, Rosa can come out this fight with a decision of victory just by outpointing him, outstriking him, uh, and just staying on his bicycle. Again, just don't get clipped. And this should be an easy decision of victory for Charles Rosa. But again, much tougher uh to do than to actually say so uh, i like charles rosa here possible dog play but i'm going to take him to win this fight by decision carl roberson versus marvin vittori i couldn't wait to get into this matchup strictly due to the fact that everyone overwhelmingly seems to be on the marvin vittori side here so as of this recording he's minus 170 carl roberson is plus 150 and uh after finishing up the tape here I don't really understand why everybody's so gaga over Marvin Vittori. So Marvin Vittori, you know, currently on a three-fight winning streak, two-fight winning streak, sorry. His third fight, uh, or third last fight, was a split decision loss to Israel Adesanya, which, you know, he did pretty well in, um, considering uh, Israel Adesanya's unique striking style. But in the Cesar Fajera fight, he was able to bust him up on the feet, uh, you know, out-cardio him. And then in the Andrew Sanchez fight, obviously he had the better hands and showed a ton of improvement in that fight as well too. But uh, the, the the thing that was very uh, consistent throughout those three performances is that these fights mainly took place on the feet. And, uh, you know, he's going to have to come in with a bit of a takedown game, take, takedown-centric game plan against Carl Roberson if he hopes to get the victory here. But I'm not completely writing off Carl Roberson either. Uh, we've seen him uh, have to, you know, use his grappling in his past couple fights. Um, you know, a lot of people want to point with the Glover to share a fight to be like, okay, look, this guy absolutely shit on the ground. I don't believe that. You know, Glover to share he may be up there in age, but he definitely still has his chops intact in when it comes to the jiu-jitsu game. The guy has a crushing top game, which is why he's always more often than not able to land his arm triangle choke, um, main, able to maintain position as well too, which is why he made Carl Roberson look like such a amateur on the ground. But since then, Carl Roberson has been, you know, he got that win over Wellington Terman and then that uh, finish over Roman Kopilov in a fight where he looked really good. You know, uh, his leg kicks were, were very devastating in that fight. It pretty much rendered Roman Kopilov a mobile for the, the latter half of that fight. And then he eventually gets a rear naked choke at the end there. But, you know, he got out of some bad positions against Wellington Terman uh, on the ground. Uh, and then he was still able to be effective on the feet with his striking. And, you know, if Marvin Vittori is not really able to, I, I think he'll get Roberson down, don't get me wrong, but I'm not, I don't think that he's going to go out there and submit Carl Roberson. I don't think that he would even finish Carl Roberson from the uh, from a top position too. Roberson does a decent job of getting back to his feet. Uh, he's, you know, his sub, submission defense is on point as well too. Um yeah, I, I like him on the, if this fight mainly stays on the feet, I, I kind of like Carl Roberson. Um, you know, he's the more decorated striker here. Marvin Vittori is more so a, an overall MMA fighter, uh, you know, pretty good at all facets of MMA, uh, not really a specialist or a technician at one. If anything, you got to give him like his, his strength has got to be his striking. Um, you know, obviously working over there at Kings MMA and Rafael Cordero and those guys, uh, they've developed him into a pretty solid all-around MMA fighter. But when you got when you have a guy like Carl Roberson who's so, so good at one thing, um, you know, you you gotta be able to lean on the grappling aspects. And I don't think the the gap is significant enough. Uh, when it comes to the grappling realm, that Carl Roberson would be a fish out of water if this fight does hit the ground. 
I expect this fight to mainly be in the stand-up realm, and in that case, like, you, you got to weigh Marvin Vittori's activity against Carl Roberson's effectiveness when it comes to striking. So I think that we'll see Robertson be able to 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 handle himself on the feet, um, to to keep this fight on the on the feet as well. Uh, you know, start landing leg kicks, uh, counter Marvin Vittori very well. Vittori likes to crash forward with his blitzing strikes, but I think that's going to be good for Carl Robertson to kind of counter and and land some good shots there. But at minus one seventy, I, I I really don't get the the whole hoopla about Marvin Vittori here. Uh, you know, he is an ever improving fighter. I'll give him that, but you, you, you guys got to kind of, you know, uh, like this might be a little bit of recency bias cause he looked really good against Andrew Sanchez, but Andrew Sanchez, you know, outside of his grappling, if he's not really able to implement that game, uh, it's a tough goal for him on the feet, especially with his gas tank and Marvin Vittori had his, probably his best performance yet, best overall performance against Andrew Sanchez, whereas Carl Roberson, you know, looked decent against Wellington Terman, got crushed before, uh, before that by Glover Teixeira and then the Roman Kopilov fight, you know, he looked pretty good on the feet, um, had some dicey moments here and there, but was able to get the rear naked choke at the end of that third round. Marvin Vittori, though, uh, you know, again, he just looks so much better than Carl Roberson did in his last couple fights. But I'm not completely counting Roberson out. I think he has a decent shot of winning this fight. And plus 150, not too bad of a price tag. Personally, I don't know if I'm going to play it myself, uh, as there are just other more intriguing spots throughout the card. Um, but yeah, got to think that Carl Roberson is a live dog here. And uh, a lot of the love that uh, Vittori is getting on the web uh, might be, you know, mishandled or uh, a mishap. Uh, I could be completely wrong here. We might see an even more improved Marvin Vittori here where he's able to really grind Carl Roberson out. But Roberson's a strong guy. We've seen him get that uh, elbow knockout from the clinch against Ryan Spann on the Contender Series. The guy has power. So Marvin Vittori is going to have to be very careful when he, when he's exchanging uh, with Roberson. But I like Roberson here. Again, probably not enough to, to bet him. Unless we see a crazy plus 200 line on Roberson or anything like that, uh, I'm going to stay away from this fight. Um, good luck to whoever did bet Marvin Vittori out there, but I think it's going to be a lot tougher than most people are making it seem. So I'm taking Carl Roberson to win this fight by decision, though I do think there's a little bit of value on the under, which is roughly around plus 170 right now. So uh, I think that's a good spot, even though I'm picking Roberson to win by decision. Uh, again, most of this fight will play out on the feet, uh, which leaves openings for finishes for both guys. I think Carl Roberson would be the one that uh, is able to get the finish if if it does get finished. Uh, however, I'm still going to take it more so as like uh, he might go up about this in a, a technical uh, approach against Marvin Vittori to 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 land his striking to establish his leg kicks and pick apart Marvin Vittori for 15 minutes. I got to go with Roberson. Might be a dicey first round in terms of if Marvin Vittori is able to get the takedown and and you know being as fresh he is as he is at that point, being able to keep Carl Roberson down and grind him out. But uh, if he's not able to finish him, rounds two and three could be very intriguing with Carl Roberson's striking continuing to establish itself over those uh, 15 minutes. So I'm going with Roberson by decision. Probably a no bet, though. All right, main event time. We got Jessica I versus Cynthia Calvillo to top off this card. Uh, This one has left my head scratching a little bit for two reasons. First of all, the most obvious one as to why the fuck this fight is the main event. Um, since the moment that it was announced, a lot of people were 
kind of not really up in arms, but just kind of like, okay, I guess, I guess, you know what I mean? We have this whole COVID thing going on, so there's a there's a slight reason as to, uh, that, you know, that's one small reason as to why we should just accept this main event for what it is. Um, but secondly, the other thing that had my head scratching was why the line was pretty much a pick for the entirety of, you know, since the fight was announced. Um you know, if you guys have been following me for a while, you guys know that I'm not really the highest on Jessica I, and for good reason. You know, she she is still able to to pull out victories here and there. Um, the most surprising of which which was her her last one against Viviani Arujo. Um, I can't remember if I had a play on that, but either way, um, you know, I, I was surprised at that, and the fact that uh, it took Jessica I to miss weight by 0.25 pounds, and obviously she looked pretty bad when missing weight too. Um, you know, it took that for the line to finally move a little bit towards Cynthia Calvillo, and I'm kind of kicking myself that I didn't really get the chance to to play Calvillo at the line that I wanted her at. Um, you know, I think that there will be a little bit of buyback tomorrow, uh, or at least fight day, I should say, um, and I'll wait for that for at least one of my books, whether it's Pinnacle, Bookmaker, or Sportbet, to give me that minus 120, minus 115 even, I think we would possibly see for Cynthia Calvillo again. Considering the amount of love that I'm seeing online for for Jessica, I am very surprised. I I just don't really see what people see in Jessica. Like she has a ton of close fights, uh, especially if they're just mainly stand up stand up fights. Um, and then you know once her opponent starts to wear down, uh, specifically the the Rujo fight, you see her confidence start to gain, and then she's able to start throwing more in combinations and really start to sway the judges on her side. Now, what's going to happen when her opponent doesn't go away? What's going to happen when her opponent initiates the grappling more uh, than her previous opponents have? And I expect that from Cynthia Calvillo. Before her last fight against Marina Rodriguez, she spent a ton of time over at Tiger Muay Thai to really refine the weakest part of her game, which is her striking. If she's able to really... Um, you know, get her striking to a point that she can complement her grappling and really mix those two together so she's able to get fights from the striking realm to the grappling realm to the to the mat, to the jiu-jitsu realm, she could be most successful because she probably has some of the best jiu-jitsu in that division. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate that she's had to go up in weight and uh, Jessica is coming down in weight, so Jessica might have a little bit of a size advantage there, but at a certain point, it's going to not really matter. And I think that point is going to be probably the second round or even the first round. I could, de- I could definitely see Cynthia Calvillo landing takedowns there. She has good entries. She has good takedowns. She was able to, you know, withstand whatever Marina Rodriguez was throwing at her, who in my opinion is a much better striker than Jessica I. And if they were to get matched up, I would put all the money in the world on Marina Rodriguez in that fight. But, you know, besides that, Cynthia Calvillo showed she, you know, her gas tank is really really good even after taking a beating it seemed like she got really hurt to the body in that second round too but she was able to to uh you know parade back and eventually get that third round a big third round where two of the judges actually gave her a 10-8 and it's kind of warranted you know she had a dominant position for the majority of that round uh marina rodriguez was able to finally get up with maybe 20 or 30 seconds left and land a decent couple shots but cynthia galvio was close to finishing finishing that fight on numerous occasions in that third round but I expect her to have a really good gas tank for five rounds, and I expect her to push a bit of a pace where Je- Jessica is just not going to be able to keep up with the grappling or the you know the transitions and uh, and all the pretty much the the pace and pressure that Cynthia Gavio will put, put on her. Um, 
again, I'm kicking myself for not really getting that minus 110, minus 105 range that Cynthia Calvillo was earlier this week. Uh, that's kind of just my fault due to, you know, falling behind on work, taking time off and all that type of stuff. Uh, obviously, for good reason. Most of you guys following me know that I got married this past weekend, so I'm more than happy for that. Uh, but yeah, Cynthia Calvillo, just more than bettable at that minus 120, minus 125 range. She's roughly around the minus 130, minus 140 range now. Uh, but again, like I said at the top of this breakdown, I think that there is going to be a little bit of buyback on uh, on Calvio here, and we'll see the line get better. Uh, you know, Jessica, she really just has hands, and even her hands, they're they're decent. She does well in terms of putting combinations together, but they're just not that fast either. And uh, I remember betting uh, Shevchenko inside the distance uh, against Jessica I, and a lot of people are just mystified. They're like, "What are you doing?" Like. Shevchenko is more so a decision fighter than she is a finisher and I'm like mm, if you look at the tape you know she you can see that Shevchenko is the much faster striker she hits really hard too and she's definitely going to be able to lull Jessica I into some sort of uh you know a pattern that she wants her to get into and then find that head kick and that's exactly what she did over a round and a half you know she did very very well in that fight uh and made Jessica I look like a complete amateur which in my opinion is what she is like she can beat maybe the, t the below the top five that's about it but like you know, she's had victories over caitlin Trukagian. she's had wins over viviani Rujo, who is uh, a budding prospect but she still has a lot of work to do too uh but against Cynthia calvio i think she has her work cut out for her calvio's striking has slowly gotten better and better and again that work that she did at tiger Muay Thai is definitely helping her i highly doubt she got the chance to actually go out there and work there uh considering all this covid stuff going on but uh I, I think she's really confident there i think she'll have a slight speed advantage uh i think jessica might technically have the better striking uh but again she's going to be giving up the speed advantage so i'm not sure how much that's going to matter and jessica doesn't really have knockout power so i don't think cynthia cavio really has to worry about anything coming back at her um it's all going to come down to the grappling and Cynthia Calvillo initiating that. And I did see an interview earlier this week with Jessica saying that she wants to test out the ground game. And I think that's going to be a very bad choice for her. You know, uh, I think Calvillo just has ridiculously good jiu-jitsu. Her transitions are amazing. Her top control is pretty, pretty good in my opinion too. But I think it's really going to come down to her eventually finding a choke. And I could definitely see this fight going under four and a half. And the fact that it's roughly around plus 190 is very interesting. Um, Calvillo by submission is plus 400. That's not a bad bet. Uh, Calvillo inside the distance plus 275. Not Again, not a bad bet either. Um, I might take a flyer on Calvillo inside the distance here. Maybe even Calvillo. You know what? Probably Calvillo inside the distance because there could absolutely be a case where, you know, Calvillo just you know, mounts her and uh, eyes not able to get out, but she's able to defend submission. So it's just a barrage of punches that eventually puts Jessica I away. But um, yeah, I, I like Calvillo here. And I'm very, very, very surprised, especially at some of my peers that are picking Jessica I and so confident about it too. You know, it's not, I'm not one to tell them to be like, you are fucking wrong. Like I hate being that friend. I hate being that capper that says you're wrong. But I will be very, very confident and very, very stern with how I feel about a certain fight. And this is one of those fights that I really feel like Calvillo uh, should be the better fighter here or will be the better fighter here and come out and perform and use that use that grappling. We've, we've seen her in the past before fall too, too much in love with the striking and that's kind of let her, you know, make fights closer than they should be. 
I don't think she'll let that happen here, especially in a prime spot, a main event spot against a, a number two. Uh, I think she might even be number one now, which is fucking weird. But, uh, you know, a big win over Jessica High here really cements herself in that 125-pound division. And I don't really want to see her fight Valentina Shevchenko right off the bat, maybe get her another win or two in that division. But uh, I like Calvillo, man. And I'm hoping that we will get some buyback um, and we'll get a, a better price on Cynthia Calvillo come fight day. But So if you do, if you see that minus 125, minus 120, I would definitely hit that. You know, um, yeah, I, I really like Cynthia Calvillo here. I think she's going to win this fight by submission. I'm going to say fourth round or third round submission for Cynthia Calvillo. Um, and yeah, she, she'll definitely get a boost in that f uh, flyweight ranking now uh, considering that she's uh, fighting up at weight class uh, with all the weight mishaps that she had in the weight class below but uh yeah i'm really excited to see calvio perform here not excited for the the main event in terms of it being the main fight but uh I, i'm really looking forward to seeing the improvements and cynthia calvio really coming into her own in this fight and finally you know getting jessica high off it's she's just such a frustrating fighter uh you know from her personality to her fighting style to just her in general um, I'm sure she's a great person, you know what I mean? Maybe it'll be nice to have a conversation with her, but probably not. <laughs> I really like Cynthia Calvillo here. So I'm going to take Cynthia Calvillo to win this fight by a fourth round or third round submission um, or TKO. You know, again, it's going to come from the grappling. And as long as she gets to that, uh, as long as her cardio stays good, which I believe it will, um, she'll be able to uh, outpace, out-wrestle, and out-grapple Jessica on her on route to a third round or fourth round TKO or submission victory. There we go, UFC Vegas 2, which is weirdly what they're going to be calling it now. Um, solid card. Again, apologies for the late drop for this podcast. Um, hoping, hoping to get back on schedule for the next uh, event. Uh, look for a Tuesday release for that. And then hopefully the week after that, we're going to get back to our regular Monday releases. Uh, trying to just get all this uh, breakdowns in. And then we get a week off. Uh, I think July, June 27th is the last event of this back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back week stretch. We get a week off, and then I I believe we're back at it for like... Uh, there's another uh, Wednesday card. I believe it's July 15th, and then we have a card on July 18th as well too. So we got a crazy schedule coming up after this one-week hiatus uh, at the beginning of July, but uh, I'm super excited for it. Uh, last thing before I get off, um, Lock of the Night and Dog of the Night Challenge is going to be restarting uh, so the lock of the night challenge starts after uh the june 27th event uh the deadline to sign up for that is june 28th so make sure you guys hit me up for that we have a 25 dollars game and a 100 dollars game again quick overview of what it is every event from july to december you pick one lock of the night play whether it's a straight bet um a parlay you can parlay whatever the fuck you want um every bet is five units and uh, whoever comes out with the most profit in December, uh, top three gets paid out with whatever the pot ends up being. Last time around is about uh, 750 bucks, 800 bucks. It's only getting bigger. Uh, I think I can't remember what the one for this one is. Uh, so again, there's a $25 game, a $100 game, and then the Dog of the Night Challenge. The current game ends on June 20th, which means that the deadline for the next game is June 21st. Uh, that's uh, that's on a 10-event basis. So you have 10 events to pick one Dog of the Night every event. Uh, you can choose one, two, or three units that you want to bet on them uh, and try to accumulate the most amount of profit in 10 events. And you, uh, if you place in the top three, you win a piece of the pot. So uh, hit me up, uh, whether it's in the comment section below the best way to get uh, into this uh, contest is to actually hit me up through Twitter. So follow me at MMALOTN on Twitter um, and message me through there. And I'll be definitely 
definitely uh, ready to set you up. We're getting, we're slowly getting registrants coming in. Uh, there's still a, uh, you know, a week and a half, two weeks left for the registrations to come in. But just hit me up sooner than later because I always get the swarm at the end. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit easier on me to just do it a little bit gradually rather than all at once. Kind of like uh, making up those podcasts for this uh, for this coming week. But, uh, yeah. Uh, that's about it. Make sure you guys check out the website, MMALOTN.ca. Check out the Patreon. If you guys are on the Patreon, you already got most of these breakdowns a little bit earlier this week. Um, that's one of the perks of, as well as a bunch of other perks. It's all in the description below. So make sure you guys check that out. Uh, and lastly, follow me at MMALOTN on Twitter. Uh, let's go get this money this weekend. Uh, and I'll see you guys in a couple of days for the next podcast. <laughs>